Hello, America. I'm Ron Hollyham, 16-year-old conservative commentator, founder and editor-in-chief of The Truth Gazette. I'm here today in Auburn, Alabama. But typically, the chair across from me is filled by politicians of some sort, governors, senators, generals, some political type commentator type. But today, we're changing it up a little bit. So joining me now is head coach of the Auburn basketball team here in Auburn's arena, Coach Bruce Pearl. Coach Pearl, thank you for doing this. Really Just it. a basketball coach, Brian. <laughs> not, a, not a general. <laughs> Yeah, not a commander, <laughs> just a basketball coach. Well, this, this has potentially one of the best interviews we've done, one of the most fun interviews by far. So I'm really excited for this. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. I mean, I know the season's about to start, you're busy, but appreciate you fitting this I, I think your work's important, and I'm glad we're going to have this opportunity. I really appreciate that. Well, talking about your work here at Auburn, you know, in seven years as Auburn's head coach, you've led the Tigers to 138 wins, two SEC championships, and the program's first appearance in the Final Four. Long story short, you're pretty good at what you do, if not one of the best in the country. So what's the secret to your program's success? Man, we don't have enough time on the show, right, <laughs> to, to go through there. Uh, being humbled, blessed, grateful for the opportunity. Go to work every day, trying to reward Auburn for giving me this chance. Great players, great coaches, judging by the people I surround myself with. Um, you know, um, not really sure what our secret sauce is. We kind of go to work every day, trying to do the things that God might bless and teach that to our, our players help them, guide them when they're not at practice and the things that they try to do. Um, and, uh, you know, there's this Auburn Creed thing about being an Auburn man and being an Auburn woman, what that's all about. And we try to get those guys to try to follow that, love their God, love their country, love their teammates, and take advantage of the opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, over the summer, there's been a lot of discussion about NIL deals. I want to get your take on them while we're here. You know, what are your thoughts on NIL deals and impact they have on college sports? Well, the toothpaste is on the bottle. Uh, NIL is here. Uh, the NCAA was way too slow to react to the realities that college sports got to be such big business for coaches, for schools, for media. Um, I've always been a huge fan of the of, of, of an intercollegiate scholarship. Uh, it's changed our country. It's brought diversity to diversity to our campuses. Uh, it's done both men, women, people of color, uh, so different socioeconomic backgrounds. It's been a great thing for our country. Um, but it lagged behind, and the student athletes weren't being properly compensated. I was always a big fan way back in the day of an annuity. Stay this year, this year, this year. The more we make, the more you make, the more you get. Let's have some forced savings involved, whatever. Um, but the Supreme Court has ruled, and they have said, look, um, these student athletes, have a value. Uh, this is a great country, and they should be able to um, be able to market their their, their 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 name and their image and their likeness. They're doing it right now, uh, and I can just tell you, our student athletes are grateful. They're able to send money home, whereas before they used to call home for money. And I just think that's a great thing. We're teaching them. To, we're teaching them to tithe. We're teaching them to save. We're teaching them to invest. Uh, we're teaching them to save some money for those taxes that they can't believe they're going to have to pay. Uh, once they get those checks. So I think it's a great thing. Uh, the one thing I wish is I wish as they continue to adjust these rules um, that they would allow the universities who are profiting from the student athletes to be able to foot the bill more right now than the free market and our donors. But either way, I think I think it's a, it's a move in the right direction for the student athletes. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, over the summer, you got some flack from the media for taking your team, uh, or your, yeah, your team on a trip to Israel, where you're all against Israeli teams, and you had the chance to tour some historic sites in Holy Land. It was a really cool trip. You know, how was that trip, and why was it so important for you to take your team on that trip? 
Well, that's a big answer. Um, you know, being Jewish, um, uh, uh, I faced real anti-Semitism in my in my life. Um, growing up in Boston, I saw real racism. I saw real race riots, real black and white hatred, um, a lack of an understanding. Um, Boston was a great ethnic town, but it had its challenges in the 60s and the 70s. And I didn't understand it. As an athlete, I didn't understand it. I just, we picked up teams, and didn't matter what color you were, or how you prayed, could you guard, could you make a shot, that's all that really mattered. And, uh, but it mattered to our parents, and it mattered to our grandparents, and it mattered to, you know, society. And I just understood at a very young age, together we can accomplish so much more than we can apart. And then also being Jewish, I was told that I killed Christ. My people killed Christ, my, my family did, my forefathers did. And Christ being the God of the Christian people, the Son of God, I'm like, what a, what a terrible thing that was. And then, of course, the more I grew in my own faith, and I realized that you do believe that God sent his Son to die for the world so there would be a covenant with God, and that you believe that as Christian. Well, then really, what does it matter whether the Romans killed him or the Jews killed him or the mob killed him? God sent his Son to die to bring the rest of the world into a covenant with him. And then to recognize that Jesus was born Jewish, lived Jewish, died Jewish, he was Jewish, that makes us family. (laughs) Abraham, the father of all nations. So for me, religion should not be a divider. It should be something that connects us. And go to Israel and let the guys obviously see that. And unfortunately, you know, you've got this, get out a map. Get out a map of North Africa, get out a map of the Middle East, get out a map of the Gulf Arab states, and you'll see that about 99% of that region is Muslim, which is great. you got this little speck right in the middle of it called Israel. It's the Jewish state. There are 9 million people there. You know that only 6 million of the 9 million are Jewish? 3 million are Arab or Palestinian. So there are 3 million Arabs or Palestinians living in Israel, working in Israel, 2,000 of them are citizens. Uh, 2 million of them are citizens. How many Jews do you think can live in those Muslim countries? Now with UAE and the Arab, uh, Abraham Accords, more, which is wonderful. But it's got to work both. It's got to work. So where exactly would you like us to go? I'm grateful that we're able to be here in this country. I'm grateful that I'm a Jewish basketball coach in Auburn, Alabama. I love this country. And I love the opportunities presented to me and my family. When my family was able to immigrate, most of my family was able to get here. Some were murdered in the Holocaust, but most got here, and I'm grateful to this country. Um, but I wanted to go to Israel because I wanted my guys to see for themselves what kind of what kind of place it was. Beautiful place, loving place. It's God's holy land. The Jews are blessed and grateful to be back in their incessant in their home in their homeland. Something that God promised them a long, long time ago. You know, the pictures came back after the trip of, you know, your team getting baptized and stuff like that. It was, it was beautiful stuff to see. So it was a great trip, and we, it looked like a lot of fun. So, you know, I'm gonna, one more thing we'll say to that. So, you mentioned I got some criticism from the media from going. Here was what happened. Um, there was an organization, I think it was CARE. Um, they, they're, uh, there is one, they're one of the largest, uh, um, uh, when you talk about um, civil rights, Muslim organization in the world representing civil rights. When you talk about civil rights, it's a buzzword for everybody to jump on board of civil rights and social injustice, those two things right there. 
And they called on the Auburn basketball team as players to not go to Israel. And if you were going to go to Israel, then meet with some real Palestinians without your Israeli handlers. And I went there, and, I, and my media asked me about it, which is their responsibility, your responsibility to ask those questions. And I said, guys, let me ask you a question. Five years ago when I took my team to Italy, did you ask me where I was going, who I was talking to, whether we we're going to go to, what sites we we're going to go see in Rome, and what, where we weren't going to go? Well, why do you get to ask me that about Israel? Because I'm Jewish? Why is Israel treated differently than Italy? And it's not. And I called them out on it. They really didn't know much of an answer. I wasn't mad at my media. But my point was, what is the point? The point is, that's an, it's anti-Semitism. It's anti-Zionism, which is the same as anti-Semitism. And so we called it out. We moved forward. And our kids had an amazing time. And uh, we had a great trip. Well, I'm glad. You know, speaking of the Middle East, you're a vocal fan of President Trump's peace treaties in the Middle East, and you've praised his administration and key figures like Jared Kushner for crafting those agreements. My question to you today is, do you believe peace is possible in that region of the world, and what do you think the current administration should do to help move towards that? I do believe it's possible. I do. Um, you know, my grandfather, Jack Perlmutter, actually pronounced Perlmutter. Julius was his actual real name. He looked just like Anwar Sadat. And in 19, I believe it was 1979, when, uh, when Anwar Sadat had the courage to sign a peace treaty with Israel, nobody thought that was possible. And I admire and I want to thank the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Sudan, Kosovo, um, and I want to encourage Saudi Arabia and the other Arab Gulf states and other nations around the world. I want to thank those that have had the courage to go to that got enough credit because there was a lot of risks at home because of because of in my mind a lot of misinformation um, to want to have normalized relationships with its neighbors Arabs and Jews have lived together side by side for 5,000 years sometimes when you live side by side you're gonna have some good times you're gonna have some bad sides what happens with families, what happens with neighbors, so on and so forth. I do think peace through prosperity is possible. I do. I look at Israel and it's three million Arabs and go, you know what? It, Israel, in so many ways, if you look at the makeup of the government or the, here's an, here's an example. 50% of the medical health workers and doctors and nurses in Israel are Arab. It's perceived that a nurse or a doctor or a healthcare worker would be at the higher end of the food chain. And they're error. I think that's something that people don't know and Israel should be extremely proud of. So one of the things I'm working on through my organization I'm on the board of a, a, a group called USIA, U.S. Israel Educational Association, which is based right out of Birmingham, Alabama, um, to work in Judea and Samaria to be able to assist both the million Israelis, many of them Russian immigrants, as well as the two million Arabs to live in peace and do business together. Right now, the Palestinian Authority, Hamas, Hezbollah, you know, right now, they make it very, very difficult for the people, the Palestinians, to do business with Israelis and Jews. But there are many that are ignoring them and doing it anyways. 
there's a Judea Samaria Chamber of Commerce run by a friend of mine, Avi Zimmerman. My family and I have donated money to help Arabs and Palestinians in that area have successful businesses. It's all about just taking care of your family. It's all about just sending your kids to school, having health care, living a good life. Israel could be a model that others can look at and find a way for, you know, for these Arab communities within Judea and Samaria and Israel to be successful and happy and wonderful places to live. But first, the leadership is going to decide that they're they're willing to allow Israel to exist. That from the river to the sea stuff, that's not that's not going to happen. That's not an option. That was not what God said was going to happen. And it's not going to happen on my watch. You know, the other day you shared an article on Twitter about Berkeley developing, quote, Jewish free zones on their campuses, and you called it pure discrimination. Uh, you said, today it's Berkeley, California, tomorrow it's your hometown. You're as a practicing Jew. How do you feel about this blatant discrimination on college campuses? Well, I feel, look, I, I, I'm a college basketball coach. 90% of the student-athletes that I've coached are African-American black. So I've tried to fight the fight with them. Um, and, and to have them be able to overcome the profile and overcome the, 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 the limits that are put on them, remind them that this country elected Barack Obama twice, remind them that I'm a Jewish basketball coach at Alabama, I, you can do anything, yes, there are obstacles, but not roadblocks. And so, simply put, let's change a Jew-free zone or no, no Jews or Israelis or Zionist speakers to no women speakers, to know black people, to know Muslim guests. I don't think it's acceptable. And I think I've got a responsibility as the person they're talking about, like, okay, Berkeley, where am I allowed to go? Because guess what? Auburn's playing at Berkeley next year in football. We're playing there. And I'm going. I'm going to wear a, I'm going to wear a, a yellow star on my on my shirt, on my Auburn shirt. And I'm gonna write Uden on it. And I'm gonna encourage some of my other Auburn friends that are gonna go up there too to put a star on as well. So I couldn't tell the difference between the Jews and the non-Jews. What country do we what country do we live in? You know, I, I, I coached at Stanford back in the day, 82 to 82 to 86. Stanford, Berkeley, the Ivy League, these were Amazing institutions of higher learning, the best of the best. I just think that uh, that is discriminatory, that is racist, that is anti-Semitic, and it's unacceptable. Coach, you know, I founded the Truth Gazette in July of 2017 at the age of 11 with the simple goal of fighting back against the mainstream media. A few days ago, one of your tweets caught my attention as I was preparing for the sit-down because it went right along with my mission statement. You tweeted, and I quote, The media has such control over the way we think about the world. They're in business and ratings matter. So change the channel, look at both sides, and make up your own mind. You know, first of all, I want to thank you for being so bold because most people are too afraid to. They're afraid of you know, getting banned by networks and stuff like that, and you, I really appreciate you taking that stand. You know, my question to you today is why do you think networks on both sides of the aisle have shifted from informing Americans with news to filling their screens with propaganda? I don't know why. I don't, but, it, but, it, but I believe it to be what exists. Um, so in ni- I got married in 1982, and on my honeymoon, drove across the state. I was 22 years old. 
read the Boston Globe, read the Indianapolis Star. That was our first, maybe our second stop. The same story that I was reading in the Globe, I then read the Indianapolis Star. It was like complete, two completely different stories. I didn't know which one was right or wrong. I wasn't trying to determine that. I was just trying to read the facts. And I began to realize as I traveled across the country, that's what we did. We drove two weeks on our honeymoon to get across the country. I realized the power of the media, the power of the newspaper, the power of the message. Look, you read something, you're going to believe it. You hear something, you're going to believe it. How, where else are you going to get your, your where else are you going to get your knowledge? And so that's when I first kind of became aware of it. And then you know, I remember newspapers used to have a page on the back of the page that was an editorial page, and on the left side was one side, and the other side, and they and they would debate the issues, and you could read both and decide for yourself which one is which. I thought that with with the rest of the paper being the news, factually what's happened, not editorialized. Those days are gone. Uh, whether it was whether whether Walter Cronkite was the last one to deliver that, I don't know. So I'm conservative, um, but I have respect. I have real respect for and admiration for how other people think that think differently than me. I respect that they feel differently. And the question is why? Part of the reason why is because what they read, who they listen to, and, and, and what they watch. And I do think that in, in, in many ways, um, that can be dangerous. I saw, and, and people won't like this correlation, and for that I apologize. Germany and Eastern and Western Europe, many, somehow justified murdering 9 million people, 6 million Jews, 75 years ago, 80 years ago. Germany was not a third world country. Germany was an educated, culturally rich, historic, proud, developed nation. Culture in that part of the world. History, music, technology. I was going and going. It happened right there. Don't, how did it happen? It happened through the media. It happened through social media. It happened because they were able to convince the people there that somehow gypsies and, and people that are handicapped or physically impaired or mentally impaired were a menace to society, as well as the Jews. They sold it. How they sell it? Through the media. So the reason why I get frustrated sometimes and read the media is it's like, oh man, this is not at all balanced. This is tilted one way. So what I was saying is, don't believe me or them. Look at both sides of an issue. Decide for yourself. You know what's what is what. And so uh, it does get very very frustrating. It's about ratings. It's about entertainment. It's no longer news. It it it, it, it is it, the the ratings and the money that go into business of of media are, are are what run it. And that's fine. That's not a criticism. That's just a reality. So as a result. They, they all play to the people that are watching and listening. Period. So my thing is, you know what? Watch that channel. Read something else. Make up your own mind. Absolutely. You know, what do you think we look at our country right now and see what's going on? You know, soaring gas prices, rising inflation, civil unrest, none protect each other more and more. Well, Lord, this is still the greatest country in the world. And, uh, and, this, and the democracy is still the greatest system in the world. Um, 
this three branches of government are incredible. Like, like I'll just tell you right now, I, I think the Congress is, is a, a fascinating assembly. I could not disagree with Rashida Tlaib out of the Detroit, Michigan area and Elon Omar out of the Minneapolis area more. But I think they have every right to be elected officials in this country. There's a large Somali population in Minnesota. There's a large Palestinian population. And if that's their elected representative, that representative has every right to serve in the Congress and voice the opinions of themselves and others. I couldn't disagree with them more. The question is, what kind of influence are they having over Washington and particularly over young people? I applaud you for what you're doing because there aren't as many conservative young folks as there are young folks that feel differently. Um, and, and I do, again, I believe it's because young people want to make a difference, they want to have a cause, and they want to champion the underdog. And so right now, the United States, Israel, uh, uh, are, on are, are really in a great spot. Well, somehow that can't be right because there are some people that aren't in a great spot. So therefore, what Israel and the United States must be doing must be wrong. No. No, what they're doing is really right. And, um, you know, for me, being Jewish, I'm just going to share this with you. I am for a strong America. When America is strong, the world is a safer place. When America is strong and leads economically and and and... And, 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 and disaster relief and, and you know just just for who we are as a country the things we stand for not trying to make everybody like us world's a safer place when we're weak our enemies are strong that's not good for our country I'll take it one step farther it's not good for the Jewish people when the world has been a dangerous place it's really been a diabolical situation for the Jews and so it's a, it's a double-edged sword. I, 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 I want a strong America. And I think what's, what doing what's best for America first is also in almost most ways best for what's, what I think is best for the world. You know, on the topic of inflation, you tweeted in June that Biden's, quote, socialist government spending created inflation. You went on to say to Biden, quote, your policies are hurting the working class. Call timeout, change defenses, do something different, please. You know, if Joe Biden called you today and asked you for some advice on how to turn our country around, what would you say to him? Well, first of all, I, I think, and, and you may have it exactly right, but I, I think I used a word in there that I wished I hadn't used, and, and I'm going to ask you to do the research on that. I think I said democratic socialist policies. And I wish I could take that democratic socialist policies back. And here's why. Not because I got feedback or flap or whatever, because I got some. Because not every Democrat's a socialist. Not every Republican is a free market capitalist. And so therefore, I, I kind of wish I took that back. Because it sort of labeled the Democratic Party. And everybody, by the way, you're looking at a Kennedy Democrat. Somebody that was born in Boston. What is a Kennedy Democrat? I don't know. But I grew up, my parents, my parents are both Democrats to this day. I have four children. My sons are conservative Republicans. My daughters are liberal Democrats, and I love them all, and I'm proud of them all. And I'm actually proud of the fact that my family is divided in that way. 
Because I think they should all be thinking for themselves. Um, but I would take the word Democrat back. Now, as far as socialism is concerned, it doesn't work. It hasn't worked historically. I studied in Boston, I went to Boston College, I studied political science, and as a coach, uh, I, I very much believe in all ships rising. I believe in, and, 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 and I don't like the upper class, lower class thing. I wish it was more blended. But let me tell you why I work so hard. I work so hard to take care of my family. I work, I work hard. If there wasn't the incentive to be able to economically do the things that I could do, I would not work as hard. And that's what's happening all over Europe and all over countries like Greece or Venezuela or things like that. You know, people go on holiday. And so I'm not going to talk about the country. They go on holiday. They're off for two months. I don't know any Americans that are off for two months. You know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even know what that looks like. Or they work, Monday, they work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They're off three days a weekend. What is that? That's vacation. That's not a weekend. Americans work hard. And, and as a result, we've been extremely successful. I want to help those that have less, but I want to give them an opportunity to earn it. I want to give them the same opportunities. That's what I fought for, education. I'll tell you, you want to do, make a difference? Invest in rural and inner city education and give them the same opportunities that maybe you and I had because we got a chance to go to some better schools. And then get, in universities, I tell my guys, some of my guys come in, they're not as prepared. You know what, you got four years. You might have two years. You got to get caught up, because when you're done, you're gonna have to get out there. And you didn't have the same elementary school, junior high school, high school preparation that, that somebody else did. We're gonna get you caught up. Let's go. Let's go to work. And now you get out there. Shoot, you're not gonna work at Subway. You're gonna own it. That's what this country is all about. I just don't think that people that support this whole socialism thing, I don't think they believe that to their core. It doesn't make them bad people. I really do think the Bernie Sanders of the world wants to help balance the, uh, the scales. But the question is how to do it. And I think by going about it with, with, with those giveaway policies, and certainly, you know, COVID brought this inflation on. It did. And when, the, when, when we were told we had to shut things down and do what we were did, we did it. We didn't know, we didn't have all the information that we maybe have now, but we did it. The country needed the, 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 that, that, that initial rescue plan. But then after that, then after that, do we really need all this other spending? And the answer is I don't think we did. But I'm sure that there are those that say, look, yeah, it's easy for you to say, Coach, this is what you're making right now. It's easy for you to say. Well, higher gas prices, or any policy that you would have that would contribute to higher gas prices hurts the least of us. It changes their lives. I go to the pump, I'm pissed off. Do, do, do you think I'm not going to go on my trip? No. You've got, you've got half of this country, half of this country, that have got to make a decision they can't even go to the grocery store or go on a vacation or go to a ball game or take their kid to a travel ball because they can't afford to get the gas. They only got the money to get gas to go to work. And, 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 and for me, the free market economy works better than simply, simply trying to do all these these government programs, which are used and abused. So my thing on that was, I don't don't tell me how good things are. That's politics. And when they, when politicians on both sides lie to you, 
just to get elected and just to stay in power. I'm not an idiot. Don't lie to me. Don't tell me how good things are. Things are not good. And so much of the problems right now that we're facing have been self-inflicted. And, uh, but we still live in the greatest country in America. And um, these are more dangerous times right now than they were a few years ago. And I pray that God uh, puts a hedge of protection over all of us and we can work our way through this. And hopefully we will. America will prevail. You know, if you were in the White House uh, with President Biden, he asked you for some advice. What advice would you give him? Um, Joe Biden historically was a, a terrific moderate. He was somebody that could work on both sides of the aisle. And I think he had an amazing opportunity um, to unify this country. Um, Barack Obama was polarizing in many ways. I cried when he was elected because I was so proud of our country and so happy for him. What an amazing orator, what an amazing leader. Um, what a brilliant person where he came from. Again, just so proud of our country and proud of him. I disagree with most of what he did. That's not personal. I, I, I love him. I think, he's, I think he's one of the coolest dudes in the world. Um, but he was polarizing. President Trump followed um, and, and through some of the rhetoric and things like that, and certainly the fact that he was a Washington outsider and just basically came in and did what he thought, said what he thought, and did some really great things for our country, but at times wasn't acting presidential as you'd want him to be, or you know would just say things where you, gosh, I wish he quite hadn't said it that way, or whatever, like to, just like my interview today. But at least he you know, kind of spoke from the heart. Um, it's, it's uh, but half the country feels a certain way about President Trump. Whether it's the media's fault or his fault, it is what it is. And for me, the executive needs to somehow be somebody that could bring people together. If Joe Biden had done what he said he was gonna do on Inauguration Day, we would be in a completely different place. And he had an opportunity as an older president that may have really truly the day he was elected thought he could be just a one-term president he could have been he could have thanked his base for electing him but immediately gone and done what he said he was going to do on inauguration day but he changed all of trump's policies immediately he got rid of you know he all the signaling the wall the energy uh, the giveaways he immediately played to his base and he didn't have to. I don't know at this point, he probably can't reel that back. Um, I respect the office, I respect the man, and I want him to do well. I, I, want, I want him to do well. And, and, and he's gotta make decisions. We gotta, we gotta try to uh, support, live with decisions. Um, and, um, um, and we will. You know, wrapping up here today, I think it's safe to say you're a little bit more vocal on issues than most college basketball coaches. And because of that, members of the media, political activists across the country, they've attempted to silence or, quote, cancel you. You know, what is your message to people who attempt to cancel you? You know, it's just, it's just, we live in the greatest country in the world. And like I said, um, you know, um, just because people disagree with me, let's just say half the people are going to disagree with what I'm saying right now. That, that's okay. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hating on you for doing it. I'm not. I respect you for feeling differently. Um, I try to do the best I can to try to 
you know, uh, inform people about Israel because I'm Jewish, inform people about anti-Semitism, inform people about racism. In some ways, focus on God first because I, because I, because I read the Bible and and, and, and and God's number one with me. And, 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 and that's kind of where I go as a teacher and as a coach. Um, and uh, if if you don't like what I'm saying or writing, then don't read it. You know, it's okay. Um, and uh, I respect that you feel differently. Um, but I think that's what makes our country so great. That's what makes a democracy so great. So listen to both sides and read both sides. And uh, um, we, we have problems in this country, we do. Um, but we still have the greatest democracy on earth. And um, but we also need to fight for the the way we were. This country was created, and the freedoms that were given, and the challenges that we're facing. Um, I don't like the direction that we're going in right now. And um, but because this is a democracy, that direction can't change course. Absolutely, well, Coach Pearl, appreciate you doing this. Best of luck in the season to come, and they all start pretty soon. And I hope it goes well. We wish you all the best. Thank you for your Keep standing strong. We need both people like you so we can outside. Really do appreciate it. Right back at you. Thank you. Have a great day.